Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the club that you didn't want to join. We're the voice of rare disease and this jingle doesn't rhyme. NordPod, NordPod, NordPod. My name is Matthew Zachary. And welcome to NordPod, right here on the Offscript Media Network. Now, I've been advocating on behalf of cancer and rare disease patients for over 20 years. Why? Because I am one. NordPod is the official podcast of the National Organization for Rare Disorders. And a quick reminder before we get started, that if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps other listeners like you discover the show. Now, let's get started. Hello, friends. Welcome back to NordPod, the voice of rare disease. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary. And today on the show, joining me live in studio, I mean live, Physically, I see her. She's right there. Although this is the radio, you can't see her. It's the lovely, talented, and fully vaccinated Leslie Nordstrom, Director of Marketing and Communications at Nord, which, once again for the cheap seats in the back, stands for the National Organization for Rare Disorders. She dropped by, A, because we can now, which is a blessing and an amazing thing to see our people again in this potentially optimistic world of where are we maybe, and that's fantastic. But we really wanted to talk about Nord. Obviously, this is NordPod, but more along the lines of the community, the faces, the voices, the culture. What is this? Where are we? Obviously, the pandemic has ruined tons of things for millions of people, and we are woke and totally aware and sensitive to that. But at the same time, we need to recognize that pain and that suffering and the challenges for the nonprofit leaders, for the patients, for the doctors, for the people that are trying to do the policy work to make everything a little better for all of us. And most importantly, to recognize that Nord, this massive organization that does great things, really had to pivot. They had to change like anyone else in the nonprofit sector, and they did it with style and grace, and they gave away a ton of money, and they helped a ton of people, and I'd like to think they did all the right things. Is anyone perfect? No, but at the same time, we were trying to do this together. So she joins me once again in studio right here to talk about her role at Nord, NordPod, and you, the listeners, our audience, who we care about so deeply, you are the heart and soul and pulse of this movement. We want to thank you for listening. We want to invite you to continue to give us your feedback and your thoughts and support. We build this show based on your voices. What do you need to hear? What do you want to hear? That's the gist of our conversation today. Please enjoy the wonderful Leslie Nordstrom. Let's get started. Mm -hmm. 
Matt, it is so good to see you today. And you mean see me? See, not just see you, share the same airspace as you because we are both fully vaccinated. Hallelujah. And we are here in New York City where now it is CDC, uh, NYC, everything's approved that if we're vaccinated, we can be maskless outside and with other vaccinated people. So And or occupy the same space at the same time at Offscript Media Studios, which is where we are right now. Exactly, exactly. It's it's such a blessing. And I'm so excited to be here with you. Um, it feels like spring is well, it feels like summer is here and it truly is and there's so much new hope and and it makes me think about tomorrow. But tomorrow's in terms of like, what's next for rare diseases? What's next for our community? And so I was thinking as I took the train down here today, like what I wanted to pick your brain about. And one of the things that I struggle with in my my own family, you know, because as you know, my husband is diagnosed with Addison's uh, disease, which is a rare disease. What does it mean when you are cured or have a durable treatment or you've beaten cancer as in your case. So I'm going to turn it over to you and, and say, like, wh- how do you define yourself now in your rare disease experience? Are you cured? Are you, I know you use survivorship a lot. Like, what are you to the rare community right now? Well, I'll start at the finish line, which is that you choose your metaphor that you identify with most. And a lot of this originates with when the word cancer survivorship was invented, which was in 1986, when an organization called the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship was founded in Albuquerque one weekend, when a bunch of angry boomers who were in their 20s at the time said, we're just fed up with this nonsense, let's stop being victims. So survivorship turned into you were a cancer survivor the day you were diagnosed which was controversial. It came in handy for insurance and billing and coding purposes down the road once the quality of life was became tantamount to quantity of life. But back in those days, you weren't considered a cancer survivor until you hit like three years, five years, seven years. Clean scans didn't really matter. And you're always living in wait of when will I be free of this? Will I ever have this again? Is it gone from me forever? And in in cancer, it's something you do hope to get rid of. But the warrior, thriver, co-survivor, advocate, maverick, rebel, you know, I can be a cancer whatever. I had it. I have it. I live with it. However you want to choose is where we've landed 50 years after the National Cancer Act. I think what I've learned as someone who has a rare disease, not just a rare cancer, and knowing you and many of my friends who live with a rare condition, or even something like hyper, ultra, mega rare, like one in 200 a year, one of my high school friends, is that you probably can't get rid of that, right? It's in you. It's part of you. And what I've learned, I guess, so much in working with Nord for so long now is that there are ways to leverage science that you could possibly not have some of these things you were born with, but do they become your identity? And do you want whatever cure means? And again, finishing where I started, I think we're at a point in society 
where we can choose how we want to identify and not be bound by what any one nonprofit or policy initiative or sort of any organization lays claim to. You have this, this, or this, or you are this, this, or that. That was a long answer. <laughs> no, I think it was a good one. I think, you know, what's what's interesting about the the perspective that, that I'm bringing to this is, so my husband was diagnosed at age 18 with Addison's disease in Sweden, where he's from. And he had a very short diagnostic odyssey. It was, the doctor had just remembered something from medical school and tested it. And then Bob's your uncle, that's what he had. And it was a good thing for Fred because Addison's has a treatment, uh, especially at the stage that they caught it at. So, you know, he takes a lot of pills every morning and, and throughout the day, but he has a completely normal life. In fact, it, it's a very, it inspired him to do what he does today as a researcher. But it wasn't necessarily a smooth entrance. I mean, getting diagnosed at 18, and, and I think you're similar with, you know, being diagnosed with cancer when you're almost getting ready to finish college. Suddenly he had a diagnosis and it was like, well, what's next? And for him, it, he was going into the Swedish military of all things. And then he got kicked out because he had a rare disease and they couldn't accommodate that. And so he had kind of no plans, nothing to do. And he's going back to living at home and selling fish door to door. And I am not even making that up. And all of his time, you know, he never really sought out a community because he was like, but this is just me. This is what I have. I have a treatment. No one wants to hear from me. And I'm just kind of curious, like the individual, you know, what's more important, individuals being by themselves and just doing it and they're coping or is there something missing that, you know, it could have been easier? I mean, to this day, he still has not met someone with his same diagnosis. I have, but he hasn't. And I just wonder, like, would they bro out if they met? Would it somehow make things easier? When I chose to enter the nonprofit space in 2007 and start Stupid Cancer, I wanted to build a community that I wished I had because I had met people that how did I, did I not know you were there for me at the time. Some people don't have that need for tribalism. They don't have an aspiration for that. Even if they learn that here's something I wished that I had. No, I'm good. I got this. I don't need that. But some people who are in that space, like your husband, like Fred, may want to realize that I could make this a little less horrible for the next me, but in his particular situation, I would say it wasn't as horrible. Mm -hmm. It was less worse than it could have been because there was a treatment. In cancer, there may or may not be a treatment. In many, many rare conditions, there are no treatments. So the desire to feel no judgments and no stigma and unbridled empathy from someone just like you where there's no guardrails or handrails is often really important and something people search out. No, I think it's interesting. And I think that's right. You know, there's no one way to do rare, you know, it, it's, it is what you are and it, and it is whatever it, you make the experience to be. And I think that's something that is actually really inspiring that I get to see by the different stories we've heard, not just on the podcast, but it, throughout my time at NORD through the conferences and just getting to meet people. But I, I want to bring it back to this idea, too, of privilege. We feel so privileged in my family because Fred does 
have a treatment. And it's what inspired him to go into research because he wants more people to have more treatments like him. And yet he hasn't met anyone like him. And yet he has it. No, because they already have a treatment. He doesn't need to make their drugs. He makes other people's drugs. But sometimes it feels like when I'm talking to folks, I don't want to say like, oh, I understand. I'm a caregiver to someone that has a rare disease. He has Addison's and, you know, he has a treatment. It makes me feel, I get guilt. I feel guilty because we're one of the lucky ones. He didn't have significant organ damage because he got a diagnosis so fast and he got treated so so quickly. There have been other autoimmune illnesses since because that's, you know, when your immune system works too hard, it's going to always work too hard. But, you know, it's how do you... How do you take part in the conversation? How do you be part of the community when you realize you are among the privileged few that have treatments, that have a long life to look forward to? A lot of people don't realize they have privilege, and there's no reason to feel guilt for not knowing that or being aware that you have that privilege. I would say that if you are underprivileged, you know that right away. Mm-hmm. Versus if you happen to have access, as I did, I was in New York City, we had the best brain cancer doctors, the best neurosurgeons, and I was very lucky, attributing to how the hell I'm still here 25 years later, I was in the right city with the right talent, and I got lucky. But luck can mean many different things to many different people if you happen to have something where you're not in New York City, even if it's a common disease or the permutation of a rare disease in the middle of nowhere. So I would argue that if you happen to be aware that you were very lucky for many, many various different reasons, it may be incumbent upon you to feel a desire to help other communities that did not have what you had. No, I think that's that's well said. And I mean, it's part of the, a lot of the conversations that we're having these days, right? Um, because we're coming to an era where we're talking about health equity in, in very different terms than we were even a year ago. I mean, the pandemic has all given us things to think about as we've seen the level of care that people have gotten in different parts of the country. And obviously when when so many other factors come into that. And so it just creates a much more nuanced and rich conversation that's really exciting, but it's also a little scary because we, I think we have to think about not just where things have gone right or where we're making corrections, but what things have gone horribly wrong in the past for rare diseases and what do we need to do to make amends to you know heal those wounds within our community, to bring people together and to make sure that we are all fighting for an equitable future of healthcare. I mean, ideally that's the end game here. You start to look through the lens of history. It's 2021 as we record this 50 years ago was the National Cancer Act. And while it's technically so much easier to not die from cancer anymore, it has revealed that that isn't an equitable statement for everyone. That the disease that I had, which nearly killed me, is largely solvable and curable today that wasn't 25 years ago. Metastatic breast cancer can be managed. Cancer is a chronic lifestyle disease for many, many people. Even terminal cancer people can live for Years and years and years. Not to say that clearly we lose a lot of people every year, but we have revealed that cancer is a disease that is not an equitable disease. And largely because you have predisposed genomics from your birthrights of where you come from and your family history, 
You have access issues where your zip code should not determine whether you live or die. And we have situations where one woman of color and one Caucasian woman with the same cancer at the same hospital is a disequitable outcome for both of them. Why? So you start to look at how the problems we have today are better problems to have because we're all just not dying right away. But what does it mean to live with dignity when you should have, at least in this country, the United States of America, access to anything you need and ideally a way to, I mean, dare I say, afford to pay for it? No, uh, you know, I think, again, I'm coming from the perspective of my husband was diagnosed in Sweden. He had his initial care in Sweden and his medicines all at the time when we were living over there, they actually met right at the, just under the maximum amount that you had to pay for medicine in that country um, before it was just all covered by the government. So we used to say, oh, one more, uh, you know, new prescription and we're getting free, free meds there. And we were young. We were in our 20s. We were eating ketchup on pasta because that was what we could afford. Ramen noodles <laughs> for the win. And so, you know, even that cheap medicine cost a lot. And it, it's it's hard. Like you obviously can say to Fred as we were saving up for our wedding, hey, Fred, do you think you could take half a pill today? You know, just feel a little lethargic. So, you, you know, and it's so sad to me that people not just in this country, but around the world, have to do that. They have to ration their medicines so that they can afford other things. And, and this is where it's been so great to be at NORD during the pandemic and to see through our patient assistance programs or our COVID relief fund to be able to, you know, see the the expenses that we're able to cover, the emergency relief that we're able to cover to help people just breathe a little bit easier. Because going through this stuff is hard. And whether you choose to go at it alone, like my maverick of a husband, or you choose to find your community and make a home in a nonprofit or just meet up with a group at a coffee shop, you know, once a month, whatever is your flavor that you choose to live this rare experience, the most important thing is that we're working together to build a safety net so that if you need us, we are here. If you need something, and I mean we as the rare community, I don't just mean we as a Nord, I mean we as an every person that's trying to just make life suck a little less when you have a rare disease. We had a saying at Stupid Cancer, I think I've said this on NordPod across the past couple of episodes, where if you really wanted a level set, that we're all going to have our unique issues, where we come from, what we're dealing with, our genes, our zip codes. But if you approach the greater good, the humanity conversation, where it's not about what you have per se, it's what you have in common that matters to help everyone. And yes, some people want a community. Some people start a community like I did. And some people don't need a community until they realize they could help someone like them. But finding a tribe, if I had to look back at the last 17 years of my career, finding a tribe is not a new concept in human history. Like we're as a species, we're tribal. We, we tend to flock where things matter, ideally for the, for the betterment of society. But this notion of not having to feel alone is a universal credit card. It's a universal calling card. And... 
you know, Nord doesn't try to be anything more than it is. Stupid Cancer was an umbrella, very much like Nord. We represented 70 or 80 nonprofits. But we were egalitarian in the sense that we're not better or worse than anyone. We're part of the community. And it's up to us to determine how we choose to get busy living. I think that's a great way to put it. It's, you know, I, I'm, I'm struck by, uh, we have the Rare Impact Awards coming up uh, soon at Nord. And I get to, I have the fun job of getting to read these different nominations from the honorees and, and you know, put together this, you know, the, the story that we're going to tell at the show. And one of our favorites, because we were on a panel with her uh, last year, Cam Redlosk is going to be honored. And I, she had something really uh, memorable on her, I don't know if it was her blog or her website. And it was, she just wants to teach people, whether they're able-bodied or disabled, to live, to just live, you know? And that's why she travels and she takes, you know, photo, beautiful photographs of her travels to say, you don't have to be so worried about every little thing, just make sure you're getting out there. You're, you know, breaking stuff in the best possible way. You always say that to me, Matt, like just break, you say break stuff. Well, you don't say stuff. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and I think that that's really to get permission to do that and to think about tomorrow, even when tomorrow for a lot of rare disease patients and families is pretty scary. Back with our guest, after the break. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient comfortable ah. okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available h-track all-wheel drive and three-row seating my whole family can head deep into the wild conquer the weekend in the all-new hyundai santa fe Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So, Leslie, I want to pick up where you talked about the, on the first half of the show. You know, yes, we've done many episodes of NordPod on the pandemic, but I think as we're starting to hopefully come out of it here at least in the United States, because God knows what's going on in many, many other countries. It, it's pretty terrible. We start to look at what I call the ebb tide, right? Progress should yield an ebb tide. Like, like I said, with cancer, like all this progress we made, oh, there's all these other people who have kind of been given the shaft, but yet there's all this progress. This pandemic has had that same allegory. It's revealed so much about 
again, the same issues. Like, oh my God, these these people, these communities have been so shafted by the system. Let's just take a moment to really realize how much more work we have to get done. Let's go over what Nord did. You mentioned that you gave away $28 million in support and aid, but on the episode I most recently did with Peter, the CEO, we talked about how the community really did rally together around this, even though it was terrifying. Yeah, no, I think what was so, it was actually really wonderful to be, again, working at Nord during a pandemic because I actually worked at a place that could do something and that could have a net positive effect. And so, you know, early on in the pandemic, before we knew which way was up, which way was, you know, east-west, we were able to come together, all of the different disciplines within Nord, reach out to our board, reach out to our member organizations. We actually did a survey um, that was just out to all the folks in the community saying like, what do you need right now? What are your questions? What are you concerned about? And and then we based what we did off of what people told us they were needing or, or you know, it was it was such a, a wonderful response that we got. And so from that, we were doing webinars about what do you need to know about MISC, you know, the, this disease affecting children that's related to COVID, you know, what, what did we need to tell people about mask wearing? Um, uh, what did they, and they didn't want to hear from like me, Leslie, the director of marketing, of course, you know, they want to hear from experts. So we used our network because that's the power behind all of Nord. It's, it's not just the people in the offices at Nord, it's the, you know, various researchers and doctors and patients and leaders that all come together. And we had vignettes, you know, telling you or, or talking with, you know, what is telehealth and what do I need to even have? Um, we did that show with Allison Edgar. I'm um, talking about how telehealth has um, not only been something that helped them uh, with their son and um, being able to still see specialists in a pandemic where you weren't supposed to go into the hospital um, and would keep him safe, but it actually minimized the amount of time they were traveling and the stress on their son. And, and I think it really began to, it showed people that there could be better ways to do this. Well, it really did force, I remember that show quite vividly. I think it was like episode four in season one. Listeners, you can go back yeah. in time and subscribe and listen to every episode if you miss them. But I believe they were using telehealth and limited form before the pandemic, but because it was forced upon them, they benefited from it because the system adapted to what people needed. And looking at where we are today, I wonder if we're ever going to get away from telehealth penetrating the market as much as it has so far. Have you seen anything of that sort in the rare disease world? So what I think is so interesting is, is really one of the things that Nord is really fighting for when it comes to um, getting those policy changes to benefit telehealth, if it's fighting for broadband access in rural parts of the country or in, you know, fixing licensing rules. Because often if you're licensed in one state, you can't practice in another state. So what happens if you're seeing a patient from another state? That becomes problematic. So how do we close those loopholes so that there's a frictionless frictionless care, you know, that you can see exactly the specialists that you need to see and that you can see them in real time as you have concerns. And for a lot of patients, especially those um, children uh, that suffer from rare disease, being able to see their doctor or have their doctor really see them in their homes where they're comfortable, they haven't traveled all day long. 
that's a tool that I don't think anyone wants to go away, not the parents, not the doctors. And so really trying, again, to take the best of the pandemic, polish it up and keep it. And while we say goodbye and, and throw the rest of things in the dumpster fire that was 2020 and, tw- and parts of 2021. You know, I see these masks, these used masks littered all over the streets and they're the new umbrellas. Mm-hmm. You know, you always see these broken umbrellas all over the streets when they sell them on the corner. I, I can't help but go back to this idea of storytelling and how important it's, it never gets old. Telling stories is human nature. You know, whether it's an oral story or now we have the internet that tells these stories, right? The internet works in some capacities for good. One of my favorite episodes that I I did for NordPod was with Sarah Hill Mm -hmm. and her incredible story of what it's like to grow up in her body, in her spirit and get by. We, I think we coined the term like enduring with dignity or enduring with style. And, you know, to the extent that stories are so important, I'm I'm really you know, like kind of tooting our horn at Nord for launching this show and thanking our listeners for believing in the stories we're telling and, and never stop telling us your stories. But how are you leveraging the pandemic stories to better the community? So I think first and foremost, we want to make sure that if people have something that they want to say, that we're really providing a platform for them to say it. I mean, that's what we that's what we are. We are a platform for change, for improving the lives in our community. So we're taking those stories there. We're sharing them on our website. We're bringing folks onto the podcast. Um, we're bringing them to events like the Living Rare, Living Stronger Patient and Family Forum, which I have to tell you is one of my favorite events because the the chemistry when people come together and share their different perspectives on a single panel and, and we can't do it live this year, but you know, we'll be back to in person hopefully next year. It's really magical and I think it's just something it's like it's like you've been holding your breath and then you hear someone say something and you just it's like you breathe again because you realize like That's how I've been feeling too. And that's why I think storytelling is so important in our community. It's a form of therapy. It's how we place ourselves in our universe and and how we cope with what tomorrow is going to be like. Going back to events too, one of the benefits of the pandemic, and it's kind of just weird to put those words in that order, is it's made events way more inclusive. Definitely. I I think the, the switch to virtual, while I, I I mean, obviously we're in person today and I can't tell you how good it is for my soul to see a person that I care about in the flesh, talking with them about real and serious issues. Like I know everyone wants this and we want this and- and Wait, to be in front of me or to just be in front of other people? I'm totally kidding, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean other people. You may continue. No, uh, no, I have, have, uh, of course, to be here obviously is is the highest- um, everyone should come once they're fully vaccinated and get to be in front of you, Matt. That's... Party at Offscript Media Studios <laughs> on Fulton Street. Go ahead. Absolutely. But, you know, I think the thing is, is we set these things up to be virtual events. And it's we've played with, I think, everything that's been out there, all the different ways that you can do virtual, you know, seeing the webinars, chatting in live, doing Zooms. Um, and we'll continue to kind of do everything because not everything works for each person. And one of the wonderful 
things that I've seen come um, out of this is that we're also seeing more and more accessibility tools on just Zoom that you can do text to caption or voice to caption. You know, that the even the tech world, the private sector world is catching up to accessibility needs of many communities. And so I'm really looking forward to what's next in terms of the updates that these platforms have that are often pushed by, we give feedback back to our platforms we work with and say, hey, just so you know, you really need to have a voice to caption feature. It's it's non-negotiable. Or what can you do in terms of real-time translation? It's like the new ADA accommodations. Yeah. And online. It, and it's it's overdue. I oh, mean, hell yeah. So I, I think that's great. Now, the question is, that's I think on a lot of people's mind is, even though we're all getting teched out or Zoomed out, um, how do we continue to balance real life and screen life as we go into this new era of post-pandemic history? But I think also, even once we're back to all meeting in D.C. for the summit in October, uh, not this October, but maybe in future Octobers, what what's that going to look like? Will there be a streaming component? How do we bring people in and how do we also preserve sort of the the chemistry of meeting people in person and exchanging business cards and connecting folks. Like that's the one thing I miss at conferences. I would meet like, you know, Joe and Joe would tell me his story. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you have to meet Stella. She is amazing. And you guys are, you really need to meet each other. And I'm going to connect you also with, you know, Dr. Thomas, because all three of you really just, I think would be Well, yeah, the human, the physical human interactions at live events is clearly what's been missing. And, you know, I, we did, (laughs) this is on my other show, Out of Patience, which you can also subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts, shameless plug. We talked about how here in New York City, at least, because virtual worked so well, we're going the other direction here, that there's no more snow days. Uh, that if yes. the weather is really bad, tough luck, remote school. But on the flip side, I think it's okay if someone cannot afford a ticket or an airplane flight to get to this conference halfway across the country, but it's like a tenth the price or even free if it's a nonprofit event to just tune in on their terms. And we've gotten to the point where, thankfully, technology, the good tech, not the robot overlord tech, has made these opportunities incredibly accessible. And yes, we're still trying to fix our infrastructure and guarantee broadband for everybody. But again, looking back through the lens of progress, if pandemicness did anything, I think it's proven that the internet is here to stay. Oh, 100%. We actually, during the pandemic, were able to do a patient-focused drug development uh, session on crab A disease. And we did all of this virt- virtually. We did have a couple of uh, our team in the studio to you know, bring all the threads together, but it was people that were coming in remote from their part of the country and talking about their connection. And that was a really wonderful event. And it, and it I think, is that's always going to be a possibility moving forward because why do you need to travel as a medically fragile individual to DC if you can tell your story from the comfort of your own home and it's an important story. And again, looking back at how that can backfire too, many, many companies are getting rid of their real estate 
forcing employees to work from home forever. Yes, they can help you buy furniture or trick out your little closet where you want your laptop to be. But there should probably, in my humble opinion, be a hybrid option for people to choose how they can be most productive as employees and as just normal American citizens. You know, it's just, I think that when we, when we accommodate people as people, when we ask them to bring their whole selves to work, whatever that is, we have to actually make room for that whole self and what it needs. And when we treat people with dignity and respect and we do things like that, like offer hybrid solutions, offer solutions to meet people where they are, we're not only going to get the best out of them, but we're going to create an environment that is empathetic and caring and that wants to do, you know, break break stuff in the best possible way every single day. I'm very lucky that I have an employer that that does that. You know, we're not rushing into the office, but the offices are there if you need them. And I do think that, you know, as people get vaccinated and as we're able to come together, one of the things I'm missing is real-time collaboration in a room with whiteboard and markers and just, you know, really brainstorming these solutions together. So I, I think that obviously it's, we've seen the other side and you can't close Pandora's box. You know, you have to give people the flexibility and the freedoms that they've had, but also you provide them what they've missed. I should have bought Zoom stock. <laughs> we should have all bought Zoom stock and maybe some Do- Dogecoin. Is that what? Dogecoin, yeah. Dogecoin. I, I'm, 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 I pick my limits on how old I am and I'm just like, <laughs> On the next episode of NordPod, not cryptocurrency. Well, I'm wearing, well, I'm not wearing jeans, but I'm wearing skinny pants, which I've heard is now canceled. So, um, you know, it's okay. We choose, I think we choose what what's comfortable. And sometimes it's those 80s references that just feel like a, a nice warm blanket for us. So without the platitudes of you're not alone and we're in this together, <laughs> like what is our message from the rare disease leadership to our listeners? I think it's, we want you, we want you to be seen and heard and a part of this. And, you know, this is all kind of started off as an experiment that Matt tricked me into doing. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, while, you know, we have so much that we want to cover and we have a limited amount of sort of real estate in terms of our shows, um, we want you to reach out to us at nordpod at rarediseases.org. That's N-O-R-D-P-O-D at rarediseases.org. Tell us your story. Um Call call the Nord line. You can find my number on the website. Call, leave me a voicemail about your story. We want to reflect our community because that's when we're our best selves is when we're reflecting exactly the people that we're fighting for. And, you know, I don't have to give you the platitudes of so many of us in Nord are community members. I think people forget that, that we are also people and we are also people struggling with our own rare conditions and diagnoses. But, um, you know, who doesn't want more friends? You know, because Oscar the Grouch, <laughs> he's not a member of Nord, so it's okay. <laughs> Cookie Wait, Monster, me, Cookie me, Monster's a member of Nord. I was going to say living in a trash can has to be some kind of rare disease. You know, I think it's more of a personal preference. And, you know, some days, uh, you know, uh, working from home, I may feel like Oscar the Grouch if I'm on deadline and I've got a lot of uh, dirty plates around me. But, but no, so I think it's just, again, if you like what you're hearing, let us know. If you don't like what you're hearing, let us know. Or stay home. <laughs> no, no, seriously. Your feedback matters. It really does. And this show is at NordPod on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You can tweet us anytime. 
And uh, Leslie Nordstrom, Director of Marketing at Nord. Yes, I'm here for your listening pleasure. All right, folks. See you next time. Bye-bye. That's all for today. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. NordPod is a product of the National Organization for Rare Disorders and Offscript Media. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Leslie Nordstrom. Andrew McDowell is our senior producer. Valerie Don Francesco is our marketing manager. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary and the post-production team at Offscript Media. Our theme music is by the Salvatones. Learn more about the music of the Salvatones at salvatones.org. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit nordpod.org.